Um, I too would like to take a moment to thank uh, uh, the conveners here and um, the privilege to meet many of you for the first time and to enjoy your hospitality. That's a great blessing to us and my family. I speak on behalf of myself, my children, my wife, who's very grateful you cared for her husband, and my nieces who have been able to join us. So thank you so very much, and we look forward in the will of the Lord to be with you here next year. However, if the Lord happens to come before then, I think it'll be a better situation. So, all right, um, turn to 1 Peter chapter 1, or excuse me, chapter 2, and I'll read our scripture, and then... We'll give an outline of where we want to go, and Lord, Lord willing, we'll finish almost on time. That was for you. <laughs> let's, let's read. First Peter chapter 2, verse 5, You also as living stones are being built up, a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then in verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but now are the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Behold, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Father, we would like to ask your blessing on the word of God this morning as you have blessed through our brother Keith, and we pray that you would continue so and we would have a fresh, a fresh sight of our Savior in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, I was uh, visiting with Brother Keith this morning, which is a, a real privilege for me to do so. We don't get to see each other very often, and I've really appreciated this time with he and his family. But we were sitting there, and, and uh, we were carrying on a, a nice conversation, and there's absolute chaos all around, you know, and I felt so much at home. It was just like home. And, um, and while we were visiting there, is, I think it was your little girl, she came up, and she was saying, Daddy, I really, when we go back to that one place, you know, that one place, and Keith lists off about 10 places, none of them were the right answer. And she goes, the Bahamas. And I go, ah, the Bahamas. And, uh, and it truly, we need to have the next Yosemite conference in the Bahamas. It'd be really great. There's no mountains, I might add. <laughs> but um, uh, we were in the Bahamas in January, and and one of the things that happened there was the saints are, are so kind I'm, uh, to all of us. And, and they said, Steve, this is Rupert. Do you remember Rupert? He says, we want to take you out on the boat. You know, well, you know, we're from Kansas. We don't have boats. We have covered wagons. And so, and so uh, we're, we go out on this boat. It's kind of a speedboat, really. And so while we're, we're, gonna, we're, we're going to our destination, what happens there is that uh, uh, all the young people get to sit in the front out on the, on the what do they call that? Bow. The bow, thank you. The bow part of the boat. And, and little Gracie, the four-year-old precious jewel of uh, ancient mom and dad, uh, uh, we say, well, sure you can. And so I, I pass her through sort of this little cutout in the, in the plastic, and I'm lifting up through it. Now the boat's a speedboat, so it's kind of boom, boom, boom. And as I pass her off, I, she just is out of my hands, and we go down 
And I go down, the boat goes down, but this little metal door goes up. And this nice rigid frame just cuts me right there. I still have the scar. I'm not going to show you, but I still have the scar. And, uh, and it, it hurt. You know, big bruise, nice abrasion. It looked like I was attacked by a shark. And if at a weak moment, that's probably the story you'll get. But, but that evening, it's, it's meeting. And we're at, 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 going to preach the gospel. I think it was the gospel that night. I can't remember which night it was. And Gracie is a snuggler. And so she snuggles up to dad. And she's getting right close. And just before I'm about ready to get up, she smiles at me, bat, you know, kind of flutters her eyes, and then throws her head into my side right on that spot. Oh! You're, you know, it's meeting. I can't say anything. I, ah! You know? And she hears me wince, and she picks up her head off my chest, and she is utterly horrified. And she just looks at me and then throws her head on my knees and just sobs. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm going to speak in like 30 seconds, and the child's on my knee crying, and my side is killing me. And she's just expressing to me such devotion. She said, basically, she was saying, how can I hurt one so, how can I hurt so deeply the one I love so deeply, right? Now, when we left yesterday, we, we talked a little bit about some of the uh, negative aspects of the priesthood as brought to us from the book of Malachi. And I'm going to return to that and finish that section, and then we're going to talk about the Lord Jesus and one aspect of his high priestly ministry, which will dovetail nicely off of what Brother Keith has said, has said earlier. Now, when we look at that in Malachi, the temptation will be just to say, yeah, yeah, I do that. Yeah, yeah, the, oh, yeah, that one too. Oh, yeah. But I'm not after that. What I'm after today, this morning, on our last day together, is that when we look at these matters as it is somewhat negative from the book of Malachi, I want us to, to have a heart that's like Gracie's heart. That we cannot, we, we, we must be upset with ourselves that we might even possibly hurt the one so deeply, that we might hurt so deeply the one we love so deeply, right? And that's what I want you to get out of this, this sort of conclusion discussion from yesterday. So I, I'm looking for an endpoint, and I want to make sure I target it well so that we just don't come away with a little bit of checklist. It's not an academic exercise as far as I'm concerned. This is, this is indeed the kind of rhythm of our of the pulse of our, of our soul as priests that we want. So turn back to Malachi, where we had left off yesterday. And if you remember, we, we talked a little bit about, you know, the uncaring aspect of the priesthood. And uh, it, it says in, in, verse, uh, in verse 7, you offer food on my altar. He's talking to the priests. He mentions them earlier. Uh, but say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind and, uh, as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? And, and just for a moment, we sort of spent contemplating how that could easily happen to a New Testament priest, giving the Lord our leftovers, giving the Lord our, our um, well, our, our, uh, what, what we're, what our throwaway items. One day, a long time ago, long time ago, I received an email. Somebody in the assembly said, why do we have to have meetings so early? Okay. <laughs> he said, why can't we have breaking of bread at 11? Now, I know in other countries they do that, but not in our country, especially not in, in Kansas. And uh, 
He's writing this email at 2 or 3 in the morning. All right? Why, why do we have to have I can't get up that early. All right, now he's writing the email to me, all right, who gets home at 3 a.m. and has to get to some sleep and then get the children up and go to me. I'm thinking, you're complaining to the wrong elder, buddy. Right? That's what he's saying. He said, I, I, I can't handle it. I, you know, I, 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 I want to shift things around so I can, I can kind of you know, make it more comfortable. I, you know, listen, I don't know what you think about the thing, and I don't have any idea what your schedules are or anything like that, but I want you to know that the onus is not on the schedule. The onus is on you, right? It's, on, it's, it's, it's your responsibility. I guarantee if you're going for a job interview, you're going to be on time. I guarantee if you're going for a job interview, you're going to look right. This is, this is way more valuable than some silly little job interview. This is about the Savior. This is about how you function as a royal, noble priest in the court of heaven. This is what this is about. And giving him the leftovers is absolutely unacceptable in any court in any throne room of this world, why would it be so for us in heaven, right? How can we hurt one so deeply who has loved us so deeply? We can't do that. Now, we spent some time looking at that and, and then also looking for a moment at the dishonesty. And they said in, uh, in verse 13, it says, oh, you say also, oh, what a wearisome. And I mentioned to you about how we rubberneck down the road looking at the couple with Starbucks and their perfectly groomed golden retriever. Not that I'm bitter about that. And, the, and you bring the stolen and the lame and the sick. You, you bring the stolen. You're deceiving. Look, that you, you bring this offering. Should I accept this from your hand? He says, Do, but cursed be the deceiver. Don't try to fool me with this stuff. And try to just put it together at the last minute. Have your heart ready. Who has a flock, uh, excuse me, who, who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. You're giving me that which is tarnished already. I, I am a kind of individual that has a station and position in the universe in which it demands and deserves absolute perfection. That is what you could give me without blemish. That's what I'm after from you. And if we look forward, and I'll try to be brief because I really want to get to the Lord Jesus on this. It says uh, later on in chapter 2, verse 7. Just read ahead for me with, a, uh, read ahead with me for a minute. Let's look in verse 6. The law of truth was in his mouth. Now he's talking about what he prefers. He says, Injustice was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and in equity and turned many away from iniquity. But listen, the contrast is in verse 7. For the lips of a priest should keep knowledge. The people should seek the law from his mouth, for he is a messenger of the Lord of hosts. A couple years back, I uh, was on duty with Alicia. Alicia was a charismatic Christian. She lived her faith. She, uh, it was a Sunday morning, and we we're both on duty. I hate working Sunday mornings. Not my favorite thing. This one I was on. She came on at 6 and I came on at 7. And my boss, my then boss, was, was working also. He was sitting there. It was slow in the Sunday mornings. Nothing really happened Sunday mornings per se. And, and he's talking about some of the world events. And he's a little shaken by them. He said, you know, I'm, a, I'm a nervous. What's going to happen to the world? 
you know, the trade centers and all that kind of stuff. What's going to happen? It's really bothersome to me. Now, Alicia has boldness. And she begins to say, well, Dr. Rob, that's actually in the Bible. And she starts talking about a really strong post or a pre-tribulational view and the rapture. And then the Bible says that the Lord Jesus is going to come back and he's going to take his children home with him, Dr. Rob. And about that time, I'm walking down the hallway and I'm hearing this noise and I turn around the glass and she says, isn't that right, Dr. Price? Uh, what are you talking about? The second coming. Yes, it's right. And immediately, I was given a message Sunday morning, 7 a.m. in my ER to a whole host of unbelievers, right? See, the lips of the priest should retain knowledge. You ever been in that situation where somebody, you're witnessing to somebody and they ask you a question you don't know, you know? You go, how about I get back with you on that one? And how about we meet up maybe next week, (laughs) Now, I'm not saying it's wrong if you don't know something. I'm not saying that, that you don't have those moments. I certainly have those moments. But the point is, is that it is part of the priestly duty to really have a continuous working knowledge that is freshly gleaned from the Word of God. That's part of our lot. The priest should know the Word of God. Now, let's pick up one last one before we move away from this. How about our two last ones? Verse 8, the next verse. But you have departed from my way and caused many to stumble. In other words, there is an aspect of priesthood in which there wasn't the right knowledge, there was not the right life, and others have sought, have gone away from you. One day as I was working in the emergency department, my boss is a little bit, how do we say this nicely? He gets you riled up. So I was sitting there and working away at my computer, seeing patients, trying to be very, very efficient, and he starts talking about administration. That's that word that we use in business that means somebody's out there who holds all the, holds all the strings. And you don't really know who that is, but if you ever meet them, you'd punch them in the nose, right? Administration. Maybe you're an administrator. I don't, I'm an administrator now. I get my nose punched daily. Anyway, so, so what happens is he's going on about administration, and he says this, and I go, yeah, yeah, that's right. He says something else. I go, yeah, yeah, that's right. He says something else about it. Yeah, I can't believe And I found myself getting so riled up after I had mentioned the Word of God that I easily caused him to stumble, Right? I just, I just jumped in, hook, line, and singer, to all these things of, the, of his, his little frame of reference of what's important in life. And I was just going in hook, line, and sinker. And I just felt, Steve, what are you doing? You're a priest of the living God. Don't, those things are the things that you're not supposed to be involved with as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Break away from that. I remember that distinctly as the Lord took me to the woodshed that afternoon. But look at this last one here in Malachi, chapter 3, verse 13. It says this, Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. It is useless to serve God. You know, that's not what a priest is supposed to be saying. But I can tell you that in my own walk, there are moments in my life when I felt Is it worth it? Is it worth it? It was really hard for me when the 13-year-old lost her father who was crushed at the Ford Motor Company when the steel band broke loose 
and 13 tons crushed him. I coated him. He ruptured everything in the central core of his abdominal and thoracic cavity. No one, no one knew, suspected that that day. When the family came in, I walked in, and I said, I have to tell you some bad news. And I'll never forget the reaction of that 13-year-old as she basically flipped out, screaming and yelling. That shook me, too. And I got in my car that evening. I drove home, and I said, this doesn't make any sense to me either, Lord. How, how can I explain this to somebody? How can I, what are, people say about you that, that, that you, you really are just a figment of my emotional imagination. And you're just there to, as a crutch to help me through these moments of difficulty. How do you explain this, God? How do you do that? I don't understand. I need from you proof of life. I actually said that. I need proof of life. In the car. As, drivers, as I was driving home. And at that moment, the thought came into my mind, this verse. Is it useless to serve the living God? You see, I, I, I don't want you to, to think that the priests of God are problem-free. No, no, no. He, even, even Elijah, he was a little bit shaken, wasn't he? So much so that he went on a really long walk. To hear the voice of God. You see, sometimes the priests of God find themselves in a situation where serving the living God is so difficult, so struggling, whether it be cancer, whether it be the wa- watching your loved one die, whether it be watching your child suffer, that sometimes you think, is it really worth it? When those moments is when you need to meet the great high priest. The great high priest. Now, the book of Hebrews is filled with several things that are quite important about the great high priest. I'm going to turn our attention to Hebrews chapter 4, where our brother Keith was at earlier today. He quoted it, actually. But in the book of Hebrews, we find out that he is a... He is a uh, uh, the high priest that, that went into the Holy of Holies in heaven and presented himself in his blood before the uh, throne of God, as it were, the ark in heaven. And it was a perfect sacrifice that perfectly covered our sins in totality. We find that's a function of our great high priest and how he saved us and, and made propitiation with his own blood for us. We find also that he is a mediator of a better covenant. This is another function of our great high priest. We find that uh, our, our great high priest is an intercessor. I love that part about him. You know, when you don't sleep 24-7, you could do a lot of praying, right? Turns out he doesn't sleep 24-7, right? Not only that, we have on record that he stated to Peter, Peter, Satan has asked to sift you, and I've prayed for you. I love that part. You're praying for me. I'm pretty sure the Lord's prayers never go without an answer, right? Exactly. Guess what? Spirit of God happens to do the same thing. It's a family trait, you see. 
That's the beauty of the Savior. The great high priest is, is functioning in so many capacities and has so many titles that reflect his greatness. But one of the ones that's, that captured my attention is in Hebrews chapter 4, 4 and verse 14. I'd like to read that with you. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in the time of need. You see, when we're at that point as a New Testament believer, and we actually come to a, a crossroads in our walk, and we actually maybe even contemplate, is it really worth it all to serve God? When we have those questions and say, I need proof of life because something isn't registering, then what I want you to know is that's the time you want to meet this great high priest who is overabundant in mercy. It says in, in I think it's Micah, that he's looking for opportunities to show mercy. Never was there a more graphic example of this than in the New Testament in John chapter 21. In John chapter 21, uh, 72% of the workforce, of, of the Lord's workforce, decided to go back to fishing. That's kind of a bad thing. Out of the 12, one had died, that left 11. Seven of them want to go back to fishing, that left four that didn't. And the Lord Jesus makes a point to show us the great mercy of his high priestly order. Now, if you recall the, the situation, the boy said, or Peter said, I'm going to go back to fishing. And I don't think he meant I'm going to go back just to clear my head. I think he meant I'm going back to the fishing business. Three years we labored with this man. Three years this man labored with these men. And after all that had happened, it, it, they, they had gotten to a, a, such a point of despondency that they wanted to actually ditch it all and head back to the previous life before they were fishers of men. I say that because the Lord Jesus makes such a point to have a conversation with Peter. It seems to, to underscore that potential foundation of, of the text. Now, when they went back to fishing, they actually fished all night and they caught nothing, which begs the question, I'm not sure they were really good fishermen. Every time I read about them fishing in the New Testament, they catch zero, right? I'm not sure they had a good business, but nonetheless, that's for another day. So I'd like you to turn there, if you would. The Lord Jesus makes a point to meet specifically with Simon Peter. Peter, who is despondent, wondering perhaps, is it, is it really worth serving the living God? You feel that breeze? I want to just... Take a moment. I was at a camp one time. I was uh, working with a guy named Caleb Trent. He's now an ER physician. I was really glad he became an ER physician. We were in an amphitheater. And as we came down, it was very, uh, there was lots of, um, uh, lots of, bug, lots of uh, hornets flying around. And when we sat down, one went, right past my head. And I could see it bounce off of every girl's head in the whole amphitheater. And I remember I prayed, Lord, could you take away the hornets? And I'm not kidding, in 30 seconds they all left. The sun came out, 
and it got really hot. And my brother was preaching. I was praying for him, listening to his message. And I said, Lord, could you take away the heat? And in about 30 seconds, a cloud covered up the sun and this nice cool breeze came across to everybody. Right? I really think my, my great high priest is quite merciful. Right? Okay, back to the text. That was a commercial. <laughs> All right, John chapter 21. Simon Peter, verse 3, said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we are going with you also. And they went out, immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. I just love this. I got nothing. I told you we should come back. We got nothing again. And when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Very typical, these, these, these details. You know, they, they've gone out. They fished all night. Nothing is, nothing is brought in. I don't know. When you work night shift, you get hungry like 4 a.m. That always happens to me. I could eat my left and right arm at the same time and still be hungry, right? I mean, that's what happens to you. Your cortisol level is the lowest between 4 and 6 a.m. Your stomach is growling. That's because of the cortisol level so low. They call it circadian rhythms in, uh, in medicine. You got that? All right. And so what happened is the Lord Jesus shows up, and he's chef. He's the sous chef for the day. Don't you love that? You know, I, if, I, if it were me and my boys went fishing, I'd go out and find them on the lake, and I'd be chewing them out. What are you knuckleheads doing? Get that boat in here. we got work to do. Right? The Lord Jesus shows up, and he cooks them breakfast. Look at this. And Jesus said to them, children, hey, you guys, have you caught anything? I bet they got tired of the Lord Jesus asking them questions he already knew the answer to, right? That happens all the time. Hey, Peter, what are you thinking? Uh, uh, nothing. Weren't you guys talking about who was the greatest? John was. Right? There again, they're tired. They've been up all night. They've caught nothing. It was frustrating. Their bodies ache. Their backs hurt. Their Their stomachs are empty. They're so hungry. And the Lord Jesus, acting like a stranger, very, very good form. Hey, did you guys catch anything? Of course, as you know, the old adage is, if you're a fisherman, you don't have, you know, and you caught, you don't have to tell, they, they will tell you if they caught something. If they caught nothing, they'll never tell you, right? And here they said, no. Can you hear that? No, we didn't catch anything. Thanks for bringing it up. And he said, well, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. All right. Okay, listen. I'm on the boat. You're on the land. I'm where the fish live. You're where people eat fish. Why would you even think that the right side of the boat is going to make a difference? That's what I'm thinking, right? And I think they would have actually echoed that because that's what was the discussion that Peter had back in Luke 4, some of the similar terminology. And bing, there's thoughts of what was happening back then, three years prior. Now, obviously, to to cast in the method that he he instructed, it allowed them, it made them be left-handed, meaning, there's some things you can only do at the command of God. And as the story goes, they, they did cast the net. So they cast, and no, no retort as Peter had the first time. And now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It's the Lord. Can you imagine that? Those guys are going, Look at all this fish. And John's going, I can just see him hitting his buddy. I told you it was the Lord. I knew it. I knew it. I was right. Right? I just love these guys. I wish I was there. Anyway, 
It was, it was the Lord. And then Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord. Like, come on, buddy, think about it. And he put on his outer garment for he had removed it and he plunged into the sea, which always struck me as odd. Hey, you guys, you bring in the too many fish to handle. I'm going to go into the shore, right? But the other disciple came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, uh, 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 for about 200 cubits, dragging the net of fish. And as soon as they had come to the land, they saw fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. <laughs> you know what we call that? Breakfast. That we call that breakfast? And, and so he, here the Lord Jesus, he gets up early enough. He comes down, meets his men. They don't know who he is. He, he, he meets them where they are. You know, if you have a boo-boo, let me kiss your boo-boo. And he brings them forward and he, and he slowly reveals himself. And it's kind of like a walk down memory lane, the fish thing that happened at the beginning of their ministry. Um, the bread that's being cooked, the bread that's there. How did he have bread, I might add? I, it's early. I don't know. Did he have an oven? Some, some campers here have ovens. I was very impressed with that. And microwaves? I guess it's standard issue. I don't know. But anyway, he gets some bread and the fish, and, and he's got this, this meal laid out. And I can just see the Lord. God, the Son of God, busy hey, getting the fish over here. It smells good. None of that's really cooking up nice. You got a little salt. Hand me the salt there, Peter. Ah, boy, that's going to be good. Hey, you guys, why don't you bring? He's just being a host. Hey, why don't you bring some of those fish you caught? Like, like, like it's nothing. It's nothing. Hey, you guys got some fish. That's great. Bring them on over. We'll cut them up. Hey, J- John, you got a knife? Right? And he's just busy making them breakfast, doing the whole table thing. And I'm, I'm Peter. I'm going, oh, my. Oh, my. And you know the first thing he does? He feeds them. Doesn't say a word. He feeds them. He gets their stomachs full. He helps them get comfortable. He gets them down to the point where they, they actually are now ready to have a conversation. Come, eat breakfast, verse 12. Yet none of his disciples dared to ask him who you are, knowing that it was the Lord. I can just see that. Shh, don't say anything. Don't say anything. He'll, shh, shh. Now you realize part of the reason they're so discouraged was the last, uh, the last week or two of their, of, of, of their history together. You know, it was, it was in that upper room where, where the Lord Jesus had to tell him to prepare the Passover. And it was the upper room where all this stuff was happening, where Judas was, the, the enemy, Satan had entered into his heart to go and turn the Lord Jesus in. He had left that night. They had gotten full and, and nobody washed anybody's feet, which is a normal custom. And in fact, during that episode, they were talking about who was going to be the greatest. You know, that, that stupor when you're after you eat Sunday dinner and you want to watch the football game and they're starting to win and you're starting to go, yeah, it's my team. Oh. Hey, don't change the channel. I'm watching it. Right? You know, that kind of stupor and, hey, guys, who do you think's going to be the greatest? What? John, did you walk on water? I don't think so. No. I walked on water. Three steps, buddy. Three steps. You were gone. You know, you can you hear this? This is their last hours together. And the Lord Jesus, he's sitting there. He's watching the whole thing, listening to the whole thing. Doesn't say a word. Gets up and starts to stir. They, they thought it was the servant, I guess. And, and here the Lord Jesus comes and suddenly Peter says, Is that you washing my feet? Is that you washing my feet? 
And, you know, that whole conversation. And then in that moment, he says to, Peter says, Lord, I'll go with you to the end. I'm there to the very end. And all the disciples go, I am too. We are too. And the, and the Lord says, you know, Peter, I hate to tell you this, but you're going to deny me several times before the rooster's done in the morning. And Satan is asked to sift you, and I prayed for you. And when you return to me, I want you to do as I say. You guys are all going to be scattered. And then what happens is they're scattered. They go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and oh, Peter, bless his, name, bless his heart, whips out that little pocket knife and goes for the gullet and gets the ear. He's not even a good assassin, right? He's not, he's not Navy SEAL material. And so what happens is, is, you know, the Lord says, put it up. And then they go to Caiaphas's house and the little girl, hey, aren't you with that Jesus dude? No, not me. Not me. Get away from me, little kid. I don't know you. No, seriously, I think you were with Jesus. No, it's not me. No, I'm sure, I'm sure it was you. And so he swears about it. And at that time, the rooster crows and the eyes of the Lord Jesus meet the eyes of the Savior. And Peter goes out and whips bitterly. Can you imagine Peter? I mean, he is just undone. Everything he thought he would do, he couldn't do. Everything he thought it was failure after failure after failure. And he now gets to the point, and the Lord Jesus rises from the dead. And guess what? He didn't think it was real. And that old that upper room thing where come, the Lord Jesus seems to come through the wall, put your Thomas, put your hand in my side, and, and don't be unbelieving but believing. Peter was there too. And remember, in one of the Gospels, they say, now you ladies, you go tell uh, the other disciples that Peter, or that I'm raised from the dead. This is in Mark. And especially Peter. And Peter's there, and he's like, he's really out of it. He's really done. I failed the guy that I said I would never fail. I, 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 I unloved the guy I said I would never unlove. And at the moment of all this stuff, I've just turned my back at it. Is it really worth it to serve God? Would God ever want me? I don't think so. I'm going back to fishing. And the Lord Jesus shows up as sous chef, makes him breakfast, a great breakfast, I might add. And he makes him this wonderful breakfast, feed these men, feeds, feeds these men, empty stomach. And then he says to Peter, this great conversation goes like this. Verse 15, Simon, son of Jonah, he's formally, he's addressing him. Do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, I know that I, 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 I you know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. Now, there are three contrasts in this section that you're going to see. The contrasts are the following. He's going to say, do you love me more than these? And the, the, the question is, what does, the, what does the pronoun these refer to? Now, it doesn't say in the text. It could be these meaning the fishing. It could be these meaning occupation. It could these mean, mean security of life, and, or, or, even though they're a terrible fisherman. These meaning retirement. These meaning your buddies. These meaning your friends. Are you, do you love me more than the surroundings around you, the lake, the boat, or the whole thing? What is it? And that's the question that he asked you and I. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than this? right? That's one contrast. The second contrast is, is this one, and I mentioned it a couple of days ago. Peter, do you love me like I love you? That's what he said. Peter, do you agapeo me? And Peter said, no, I kind of phileo you, right? It's a different type. It's not bad. It's actually used in that famous passage in John chapter 15 about abide in me. There's that word that shows up there. But nonetheless, the Lord is basically saying, do you love me like I love you? And that's a question for you and I, child of God. Do you love me 
like I love you. Do you reciprocate that kind of depth, quality, and inherent, uh, uh, inheritness of my love back? Do you, do you have that back towards me? Or is it you're just sort of, you know, kind of quaintly fond of everything that I am? That's the question. And this is coming to a man who really was questioning God, right? Now, the third contrast is the best one. Even though Peter answers truthfully, I don't love you like you love me, it does not stop the Savior's reaching out to Peter. You know what we call this? This is a demonstration of the great mercy of the great high priest in living color. And he says to Peter the first time, he says this. He says, listen, you feed my lambs. And the question, the whole thing plays again. And son of Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said, yes, you know that I love you, phileo you. Uh, And he said, tend my sheep. Now, last time I checked, the good shepherd hates it when the sheep are scattered. Did you notice that? Uh, My brother quoted a passage in Matthew, sister passage in Mark, that says when he saw the multitudes, the sheep were were scattered uh, like a sheep without a shepherd. That bothers the heart of God. Ezekiel says the same thing. It bothers the heart of God to see the sheep scattered. And he indicted the shepherds for being derelict in duty. It says in John 10 that, that when the wolf comes, the wolf attacks the sheep and the sheep are scattered. God really is bothered when the sheep are scattered. This, the great, good, and chief shepherd is very tenacious about his work. And he, only, he, he wants it to be cared for in a, in a particular manner. And yet he turns to this man who is ready to give up, who's despondent, wondering if it's worth it to serve the living God. And he says to this man, who really has shown now no interest in these things, and he says, I want you to take care of my baby lambs. You know, I have medical students that come to my hospital, and they want to learn how to do things. I'm always nervous if they're too eager. Can I put in the chest tube? No, you can't. Why not? Because you're an idiot, that's why. You're not going to let you touch my patient. Uh, we're kind of brutal in medicine, right? We don't hold anything back. Right? I'll never forget the student that wanted to stitch. Thought, he, thought Just so eager. Oh, Dr. Price, can I stitch? Can I put the stitches in? I said, have you done it before? Oh, yeah, lots. Yeah. No, I hadn't. I get over to the patient, the guy, we numb up his arm, and the, the medical student's got the, got the needle driver in his hand. He's shaking. I'm going, I can get, and I, I politely and calmly grab his hand. Surgery is finesse, like an or, uh, uh, orchestra director of an orchestra. Now try it again. Okay, okay. I said, why don't you go to the bathroom? Right? I'll take over. Right? I want the student to care for that patient like I'm going to care for the patient. I want you to do it with a certain amount of expertise and kindness and tenderness and, and thank you, and all that stuff that it matters. I want you to, to have the same compassion and interest that I have, not some sort of little experiment you're playing, right? And here's Peter. He's out. He's done. He's laid out flat. Emotionally, he's gone. Spiritually, he's gone. And the Lord Jesus says, yeah, I know you don't love me like I love you, but I want you to feed my lambs and tend my sheep. And I know that because he reiterates that very thing after the last conversation. Now, this is what I call a great and merciful high priest. Because when you're down, when you're the lowest you can be, when you want to quit and go back to fishing, And just say, I don't care about this. 
I'm tired of raising my family. I'm tired of all the going to meeting. I'm tired of, of being there on time. And I'm tired of, of, of waiting on that husband. He's messy. And when you've got all that stuff upon you and you just want to give up, I can't answer the hard questions, God. I don't know the right answers. I just want to go back to safety. I want to go back to what I know. That's when the Savior is the, the most precious as the great and merciful high priest who shows up at your place of business and does what you're trying to do flawlessly and gives you the nourishment of your body and soul. And he has this tender conversation. I know, friend, that you want to cash it in. I know you just don't want anymore. I understand that. But I am not giving up on you because I still want you to be my shepherd. Would you take care of my sheep? Would you feed my sheep? And out of all the authors of the New Testament, which one do you think writes this phrase? Shepherd, the flock of God. God. Peter. Thank you. John was there, right? Others were there. But Peter, this moment in John 21 never left him, right? And that should never should leave us. Because that priest that's described in Hebrews chapter 4 was displaying it in beautiful symmetry and beautiful color. And he does so in such a way as he brings those men along physically, emotionally, spiritually. And he gives them such a statement of, of interest and, 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 and desire that I think Peter, at that moment, learned something fantastic about the Lord Jesus. That the Lord Jesus goes after his sheep. The Lord Jesus understands that in the priestly walk of, an, of a life on this planet, you may come across that moment where you're just about to cash it in. Shows up at just the right time and just the right way for just the right soul. Saints, you may be like that today. This week has been something that you've needed. You've, you've heard the word of God and and your heart has been discouraged in several manners and or several ways and in several uh, manners and and. And now we come to the end. I want to leave you, as my brother Keith so, so well built this frame. I want to leave you with the Lord Jesus who intends to cook you breakfast today. Who intends to, to nurture you along. And intends to have you hear these words. I'm not giving up on you. Would you come and not give up on me? Yes, it is worth it to serve the king. Yes, it is worth it to be a high priest and to serve the living God. Mistakes have been made. Sin has been done. There's been consequences for all those things. But that doesn't change this fact that the Savior would meet any Peter at the Sea of Galilee any day of the week. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, what a beautiful, beautiful record of our merciful high priest who gives grace at just the right time in just the right way to a soul that needs the tender mercies of God. We thank you and ask that your spirit would continue to minister the word of God to our hearts in his name. Amen.